0: Tom Panos, John McGrath, welcome back to Million Dollar Agent, the longest serving real estate podcast in Australia. And, um, Johnny, as I said to you last week, we've had a lot of downloads. And, um, look, I really hope, like, we're up to around, I think, 300 episodes. There is no reason. There is no reason, or let me do the numbers. We'll have to stay alive. We can do that. We get to 1,000 episodes. We've got to get to 1,000 episodes.
1: We can do that. We can do that for sure. Look, you know the funny thing? It's it's fun because as you and I both know, Tom, we get so much feedback. People call us and you bump into people at the real estate gym and they text you and just say, you know, you said something in this week's podcast that I've used in a listing appointment. I mean, for me, that's the greatest. When they actually do something and they get almost immediate benefits it's kind of like so rewarding as, as you know, like we, we share ideas and uh, come up with sort of things for our, our team members. So, uh, yeah, no, I think it's great. So we'll keep going.
0: So, Johnny, great topic, uh, and uh, we've covered it lightly before, but we're going to sort of look at it a little bit further today, and that is um, tips if you want to break into the upper end of your market and um, you want to start handling, you know, those prestige trophy listings in your suburbs. Uh, great topic. Some people have been very, very good at making the shift. Uh, Marcus Kiminello from Marshall White in Melbourne is one that I clearly remember him saying there was an intent there where he moved on from just doing units to doing the upper end and now he sells the most prestigious homes in, uh, in Melbourne. Um, John, is, it, is so, so have you seen agents in the McGrath brand do that?
1: Yeah, I, I've definitely seen quite a number. And, and just for clarity, it doesn't mean to anyone listening, you're going to sell $10 million properties. I guess what we're talking about is potentially that. One end is if you're trying to get into the luxury market. But probably more practically for most people listening is, how do you get to handle the best homes in the areas that you're currently working? Um, you know, how do you become that go-to person? And yeah, I've seen a lot of people over the years, Tommy, really uh, do a good job. And, so, and the first thing is they normally come to me and say, exactly what we're talking about. John, I want to get to the top end. What do you think we should do? So they make a decision and they have an aspiration about getting into that top end. So the first thing is you actually have to decide and, and treat it like a very serious project. And the first thing I say is, well, look, you know, what got you here won't get you there. So you're going to have to make some adjustments, whether you like it or not. There is some points of difference. A lot of it's the same. There's no doubt that if you're squinted, you know, listing a property for you know, $3 million versus 300000 there's a lot of sameness. But there are some nuances, and you have to be prepared. So the first thing I say to them is, yeah, let's define the market. So I get them to build a database, and it doesn't matter if it's on a Word document, spreadsheet, or agent box, or whatever you want, want to use. Build a database of all the best homes in your community, because you must have the ability to communicate with these people. So now for some people, that's 20 homes. Other people, it's 200. Others, it's 20 streets. So I get them to actually identify physically and then start registering and creating a database of all of those, because this is very one-on-one. This is not people selling a three or $5 million home. They're generally you know, not looking in the yellow pages. They're not just Googling good agent in my area. They normally um, are going to be influenced by uh, someone they know, someone in their network, a friend of a friend, an agent that they've been noticing so it's really, it's a very much a relationship market, whereas I guess further down, um, when you are talking about the median price and below, often it is people just sort of going to a well-known and trusted brand. So first thing is it's a very personal uh, brand of selling, really critical. Two is, Tom, I think you have to become the person that fits their image or their their view on what a salesperson for selling real estate looks like, sounds like, and acts like. So interesting in a world of social media, and you and I have, you know, been critical of, of some the way some agents position themselves. I think, you know, there is a way to position yourself in the market and in the community, and I think it's really, really important that you present, you turn up to listings, and you turn up to functions, and you turn up to anything um, in a manner that is befitting of someone doing a top end. I mean, Ken Jacobs, uh, you know, Ken, Tom, and so do I, and and he's probably sold you know eight of the last ten record sales. In Australia, a couple of things about Ken. Um, he's he's specialised and he's niched himself just in the top end. His average sale price I would think would be 30 million plus. Um, his fee is 2% and in he works in probably the heaviest discounting market in the country or one of them, which would be the eastern suburbs of Sydney, where you know, a lot of agents are down around the 1% and he's at 2%. And Ken is exactly what you would expect. He's sophisticated, he's beautifully dressed, he's quietly spoken, he's thoughtful. So, and and I don't think he specifically developed that style. I think that's pretty much who he was to start with. But I think you've got to look at people at the top end and say, well, you know, what would people expect me to be turning up? How should I be dressed? What would be my tonality? I think that's really critical. And third one is product knowledge. I think it's really vital that you start equipping yourself with product knowledge at the top end. You need to know dollars per square meter. You need to know architectural styles. You need to know finishes, you need to know the art that's on the wall of these homes, a little bit about it. So you have to really start equipping yourself with information and intelligence about those types of clients. I mean, that'd be a starting point for me. I mean, what are your thoughts?
0: So, John, I want to ask you. Ken, Ken Jacobs, everything you said is absolutely spot on. The question I want to ask you is: if Ken Jacobs was selling seven or eight hundred thousand dollar one bedroom apartments every so often, and you saw his name on the marketing material of those apartments. Do you yeah. think that would diminish his brand at the top end?
1: I think it would for Ken because he's absolutely at the most pointy end of the. You know, he's literally doing 50, 60, 70, 100 million dollar sales. So I think that would. I think for a lot of people that I've coached in the past, so Tom. They actually need to keep their cash flow of their middle end of the market as they start to entrench themselves at the top end. So, I think there's a balancing act. Uh, just to walk away from properties in the 500 to a million range, and then sort of start grasping at two, three, and five million could be a dangerous for a lot of people. So, I think that for most people, it's going to be a gradual um, move towards. And once you get one or two great listings, you know, we'll talk in a minute about leveraging them. But you can really help I When I sold, I remember when I sold Woolsey Crescent for eleven and a quarter million many, many, many years ago, eighty nine. And I, I would say that obtaining that listing, and I'll tell you the story in a minute. You, you know it until you're bored, but maybe some of the listeners don't. <coughs> obtaining the listing and then selling it that that put me that probably projected my career ten years ahead. So I was called up by a friend of mine from Perth, long story short. He said, I've got this great house who's a friend of mine owns it. This guy's a real estate agent, by the way, in Perth. And he said, would you want to come and have a look at it? He's going to call in a few double-bay agents. And I said, look, I've never sold a property at that stage, which was true above a million. A million was my highest price. He said that this property is worth 15. I just couldn't even come to terms with that. I'd never sold a property in the suburb, which is Point Piper. So I initially declined. So my belief wasn't at that level that I was – capable or perhaps even worthy of selling that. I hang the phone up and then I thought to myself, wow, that could have been a real um uh, sort of trophy listing which could have so I picked up the phone. It wasn't mobile phone in those days. It was um it was the, the landline. I rang back uh, Willie Portius and said, Willie, could I actually be included in the in the uh, listing presentation? Long story short, I did all the homework I could do. Didn't deserve to get it, but I got it. Well, maybe I did deserve to get it, but yeah, certainly on my CV or resume it was not at the level that some of the others. You know, there were people like Bart Doff, who was has been one of the great agents of all time. Um, so anyway, long story short, got it. Uh, we, I sold it with Willie, uh, and in fact, Bart Doff brought the buyer in the end. So we ended up doing conjunction, eleven and a quarter million dollars, <throat> and that started getting the phone ringing from people in properties. It was a whole new level because we were able to get PR. The owners of the property were happy for us to sort of announce the sale, both buyer and seller. Um, and, and once you once you actually make even one sale, because that was my first what you'd call trophy listing and sale, I would say that probably generated a dozen quality listings of which I sold most of them over the next year or two. So it's interesting. Once you do get in there – there is a real relationship thing and a perception thing. And people would ring me from Mossman and i would really never particularly sold any of Mossman. They said, well, we got a house at Clifton Gardens and we saw you did that $11.25 million property. Yeah, I didn't know if you had any buyers left over, but you know, w- would you like to come and meet with us? So it, it sort of you know, grew from there. So I do think that once you get in and get a couple of good deals done, it can really snowball. Next thing I was gonna to say, Tom, is it's, I mentioned before it's about relationships. Often, having the buyer is more important almost than the seller, because if you have a buyer, you can then go and find the listings because you know it's such a good payoff if you get a sale done, you know you can think of you know a couple of percent of five million, ten million for a lot of people, that's more than they do in a year at GCI. So I would work very hard on finding who are the people that would like to live in these type of homes, and depending which area you're in, um, you know, it's either going to be easy or you might have to work a bit harder. But I would be finding people and then I'll be literally door knocking uh, or phone calling people and saying, you know, Mr. Panos, look, I know you've got one of the most beautiful homes in, in the suburb. Um, and I just want to let you know that I've come across a buyer who has said to me, can you find me the best house in Haverfield? So thinking that you will be in one of the best homes in Haverfield, I thought I'd just introduce myself just in case. So that reverse listing, and, and I'm not saying that no one has done letterbox drops or door knocks before, but I think if you do it with credibility and integrity and you can be specific if the buyer allows you to, um, or even just you know, say, look, I've got a couple coming up from Melbourne, they've identified Haverfield's their suburb, they said they want to be in, in one of the best houses in one of the two best streets. You live in the best street, I think you've got one of the best your houses. Would it be something of interest to you? So you can be quite specific. And I know Ben Collier, who's a great agent, used to work with us, and now he's with the agency. Um, he, I think he would have done 20 to 30% of his business exactly like that, what I've coined the phrase of reverse listings. He would find the buyer. He would work with the buyer. He'd say, "Why? let's go for a drive. Why don't you identify the houses in Wallara that you like? Let's, I'll take you to all the best streets. And that person would literally say, that I like that, I like that style, I like this location, and then Ben would then make it his job to go and see if those people. So I think at the top end, it, it is about relationship, and you can afford to invest a bit more time working on actually manufacturing the listing, if you like.
0: That's absolute gold, John. That's absolute gold. And I'll say, as you've been talking, I've been thinking, um, just the Haberfield example um, when I look at someone like Michael Tringali, who's the agent that does this area, and he's uh, with McGrath, I can't help, when he gets a listing that's a $4 million type listing, he not only gets the accolades and um, all that comes with selling that property, when you're selling the higher end, you begin a momentum ecosystems of getting a lot of the upgraders coming to you as well. because a lot of the times the person that's going to buy at the upper end in your market already lives in the lower end in your market. So you actually, I think agents use it, they call it a double header. They end up getting, you know, Two transactions. The second thing, John, is I had an agent and he told me not to be named because he says, Oh, I don't think people are going to be impressed with it. But I actually I think the strategy is quite lever, clever. He his first high-end sale was one where the vendors didn't want to invest a lot of marketing. And mm-hmm. he wanted, he wanted, he wanted the listing. And he sort of said, listen you know, it would be an absolute privilege to represent you in this property. So much that I would actually be investing some own personal marketing of my own to give this property the promotion I think it deserves. And the guy said to him, do what you like. All we're going to do is spend 10 grand. I think what he did is he he doubled that campaign, right? So Mm. as you were talking, one of the things that came to my mind is, you 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 do want to not only sell these properties, but you do want to make a big deal about it. Subject to the vendors being happy with it, you you do want to make a big deal about it because um, this is a bit of a launch pad. And I can't help hearing stories like yours, John. Woolsley Road was a launch pad to mm. other bigger and better things, you know. Um, but yeah. you must. Look, you also backed, John, you, I've got to say, you backed yourself because I can see some people would feel, hey, I'm not worthy of this and they wouldn't throw their hat in the ring.
1: Well, that, that was definitely, as I said, why I hang up the phone and declined the offer in the first instance but rang back immediately and, and that was exactly what it was. You, you, that's why I said it up front, you have to make the mind shift and you have to believe and you have to be committed to it. It's not like, oh, I'll give it a crack, I'll just see how I go. You have to be committed. It's interesting you talk about Mike Trigali because uh, I think he's one of your neighbours, but uh, a friend of mine I was talking to, he heads up the emergency in one of the biggest hospitals in Australia and he lives in your suburb, maybe your street. And he, I just happened to be talking to him over Christmas and he said, oh, he said, it's funny. He said, I was at a cocktail uh, function just in the backyard of one of my neighbours and he said there was eight of us were all sitting there talking about stuff and the, the whole thing of COVID came up and then property came up as it always does. And he said... There was eight of us, and Michael Tringali had had looked after each and every one of us getting in there. So he said we all had a chuckle that the one common denominator amongst the eight people in the backyard having a glass of wine was Michael Tringali. So, and, and yeah, Michael, as you know, he doesn't sell luxury, but he sells beautiful quality. You know, three to five million dollar homes would be really his sweet spot. And uh, and it just shows that there is a community of eight people that are there talking, and they then talk to another eight people, another eight people. So this is at the quality end of the market. It's very, very important that you uh, give people a great, a remarkable service so they all become raving fans. And he did say that. He said, not only did, did Michael look after us, he looked after us beautifully, and that was kind of part of it, which is why he's so successful. Just a couple of things before we go, Tommy, just to add. Um, the other thing is you might you might want to consider repackaging your service a little bit. Like, you know, the, perhaps a photographer that you're using that's taking the, you know, $500,000 property shots, you might need to look for a higher quality, almost architectural photographer to go to the top end. You might look at start using things like drone footage and aerial shots above where you can get a drone to come down to, you know, really highlight the location of the cul-de-sac or the land size and so forth. Um, So some of those things, even the way you write your ads, you know, need to be more upscale. So have a think about that. And the last thing I'd say is develop a quality market report. And you mentioned Alex Jordan uh, in last uh, last week's uh, podcast. We were talking about him. One of the things he does spectacularly well, he does a luxury market report for his market. He invests a lot of money. And it's a hard copy document and it's beautiful, like coffee table beautiful. And he has that delivered directly to all of his customers and all of the owners of those homes. So, again, I think there is some really good strategies, but it starts with a commitment. Then you need to shift your mindset to to believe that you're capable. Because pretty much every agent, all your gym members and all our listeners, they all have the capability, I would think. Almost all of them have the capability of being very productive and very successful Doing better qualities than they're probably handling now, and from someone you know like like you Tom that's been had fortunate to be able to handle some of those, properties, it's not that different. You make a few tweaks, you shift your style a little bit, you build some product knowledge, and all of a sudden you get a couple of good good listings and a couple of good sales. You can leverage that, and then you know you're going to be you know, really right in the thick of things at the top end of the market.
0: John, if I was a real estate agent right now listening to Million Dollar Agent. I would have an action step that would begin tomorrow morning on an Excel spreadsheet or on agent box under uh, a heading. I would call it, you know, Trophy Homes or, you know, A-plus or whatever you wanted to do. I would drive down the street, street by street, and I would write down each property that I would consider would be fitting into that category. And at the end of my drive-by in the whole area, I would then have a list of homes. I would cross match it on CoreLogic RP data. And that would be my target market already identified. And then the second thing I'd be doing is what you said. And that is, hey, don't wait for them to come to you in the early part of your career whilst you don't have a brand and positioning of being an agent that handles the higher end of your market. I would go out and reach out to them and I think it all starts with get clear on who they are, have a strategy, get in contact with them, and then maybe, John, maybe you go off and do the uh, the Ben Collier strategy, and that is represent a buyer and say, I've got a buyer who wants to buy something like this. This is all doable stuff. It doesn't matter where you are, whether you're doing the higher end in uh, Campbelltown, which I think is called Denham Court, or whether you're doing... Mm-hmm. Uh, the higher end in the eastern suburbs, which might be, you know, Point Piper. Uh, The point is, every marketplace has got a pointy end, and it's possible for any other agent to dominate in that marketplace.
1: And if you're thinking, yeah, exactly, Tom, and if if you're asking yourself as a listener, you know, well, where do I find the buyers? Well, be a bit creative. uh, You know, there are people that are in your community that you should know about that are doing well in their business. You know, their, their business has taken off. They might've floated their business. They might've been very successful in, you know, in whatever job, they could be a tradie that's got 12 trucks on the road. We'll guaranteed, they're probably going to be upgrading their homes soon. So ha- have a look at it. I mean, the last two big sales around 100 million and Ken sold them both, were the two boys from Atlassian, you know, the, who floated their company for billions and billions of dollars. And, and they bought homes virtually next door to each other, 100 million each thereabouts so you know and they're an obvious target in terms of you know they're very very high profile and but if you're if you're embedded in your community and you know who's doing well and you know which businesses are doing well there's a pretty good chance you can intuit who's going to be the sort of people that might be upgrading over the next 12 months go and introduce yourself and say, look, I've just admired how well your business has been doing. I know you've had a couple of kids in the last few years. I just wanted to introduce myself in case you're looking to upgrade and and go for a bigger home. I'd love to sort of get a brief from you when you're ready. So, you know, be a little bit creative. People love you being proactive and they, they love good salesmanship. So just give it a go anyway and see how you go.
0: And, and, John, the other thing I was going to say is in last week's podcast, you were talking about, you know, agents that might find that, you know, there's uh, not as optimistic, a little bit stale, lacking a bit of motivation. I think that there's been three agents I've spoken to this year that said to me, going to the higher end of the market in their marketplace is what gave them another spring in their step they have been doing real estate for 10 years. Even Matty Steinway said to me, you know, like they're the things that he's looking for because he's been doing real estate, John, now for, you know, 25, 30 years. And, uh, yeah, he was looking at, you know, ways to actually keep him, you know, super inspired. And, you know, he's a very motivated guy regardless. But Matt and a couple of other people said to me that going for the higher end of the marketplace gave them another goal in their real estate career.
1: Yeah, and the final thing I'll add, Tommy, is not not only is it beautiful properties and generally much bigger commissions, you often find very interesting people, you know, people that have done great things in business and, you know, they've kind of got a very interesting story. That doesn't mean someone at a $300,000 property doesn't have an interesting story, but I, I've found that I've, some of the most fascinating people I've met have often been under the radar, but they've been very successful and they've got a great story. And that's the beauty of our business is it's not just about, you know, the property, it's about the people inside the property and they've all got a great story. So, uh, yeah, definitely I'd be looking to investigate that.
0: John McGrath, Million Dollar Agent, another podcast done. We will speak to you all next week. Have a great week.
1: See you, Tom. See you, everyone.